Welcome to Beyond Music with Sylvia Nakash and John Bierman. Today we'll be joined by Rick Jero. As a pioneer of the anti-career movement and author of Creating the Work You Love, Rick Jero has helped thousands open to their intuition, transform their values into action, and answer their true calling, instead of settling for yet another job. In this episode, we share a spontaneous conversation on the experience Rasa, a missing link in the Western aesthetics. Rasa, it's different from normal emotion. It's emotion magnified a thousand times and taken to its source. We will also cover poetic insights on raga music, tantra, kirtan, and Rick's latest book, The Cloud of Longing. Rick kicks off the discussion with an example of being transported and how that can be misunderstood in Western culture. I've been asked many winters ago at a meeting of the American Academy of Religion. I chanted a Silma verse from the Ramayana, the great first poem of the Sanskrit tradition about Hanuman jumping over the ocean and carrying this mountain, which had the healing herb to save his, his Lord Rama. And very and during that story, Hanuman is often compared to a cloud. Um, and also says Hanuman Manasa Jagama, that Hanuman went through by his mind, like a shaman, he traveled through his mind. So when I was reciting this magical flight, I got very inspired and the respondent was kind of annoyed because I was quote, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it seemed like Jaro was transported, you know, reading that, like this is a problem. And my response was, if you're not transported, why are you bothering with it? Um, so that's kind of um, how I relate to this stuff. It's pure feeling, transportation, and some sort of the revelation beyond language, but through language. Why do you think he thought it was a problem? Because the Western tradition of critical apprehension of texts has lost its feeling function. And very often in the West, we've moved so over into the energy of thinking without being tempered by the heart that there's literally an embarrassment if people, like I used to have a student who, who would raise his hand and say, I feel, and the class would look at him like something was wrong. We don't have much of a tradition of aesthesis, you know, emotional transportation. And that's why I think he was a little disconcerted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's probably one of the challenges of, of our Western society a little bit is, is kind of getting over that. Yes. When you were talking about that, I was thinking that, yes, we have these all these levels of connections and engagement with music. And they, it come from including, adding to the experience of music consciousness, or what we call the nature of the way that the mind works. And the Buddhism will be like Sambhogakaya, Dharmakaya. Yes. And That's so funny you said that. Yes, because when you were talking, I was, you know, I was, I was transported to my, my, pre, my practitioner of the mindset, you know, because it's all about setting another part that you bring into anything we want to offer requires this, the ceremonial setting for the Dagara tradition of Africa is a generous welcome, mm, mm. generous welcoming. 
So in every in, in, in psychotherapy, remember when I was a psychotherapist, the setting was the most important aspect. The timing, the space, we are setting, we are we are sound is needs an envelope to be produced, to be heard. There's no sound we, without hearing. So all these things were just whenever Rick talks, I I have like a multi multi-dimensional possibilities of inspiration so many places to go but today i was going to the dharmakaya sambhogakaya nirmayakaya and feeling that that's the piece that i bring into my my music teachings you know how 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 the music feels in in those three dimensions because music is symbolic but can be heard and becomes the feeling is when we hear the music, when we listen to the music. And then it comes this idea of Dharmakaya, how the music can transport us to different places. And what is transport is, is our energy, our mind. So anyway, I think that there's so many aspects of how understanding the magic fly of Hanuman can be a teaching of music in healing. Would you elaborate on that, well, I, Dr. I, Rick? I, <laughs> I will, but I, I, just to get back to what, to what John asked, there's a beautiful little poem by Billy Collins called Introduction to Poetry. And it goes like this, it says, I asked them to take a poem and hold it up to the light like a color slide or press an ear against its hive. I say, drop a mouse into a poem and watch him probe his way out, or walk inside the poem's room and feel the walls for a light switch. I want them to water ski across the surface of a poem, waving at the author's name on the shore. But all they wanna to do to the poem is tie it to a chair with rope and torture a confession out of it. They begin beating it with a hose to find out what it really means. <laughs> you know, I like that. It's so synchronistic, uh, Sylvia. This morning, I was just meditating on this. That I think after I read your article, I started thinking about the relationship between the aesthetic and the the, the trikaya. And I I said that the the aesthetic dimension is the sambhogakaya. It's the body of bliss, and that's what's missing. It's what's missing in the critical tradition. It's what's you know. It, without that. You know, where's the rus? You know, where's the juice? And this word rasa literally is the juice the of a poem or a work of art or a piece of music, which you you have to drink it. It becomes part of you and it it transports you. It's love potion number nine, you know. So yeah, I feel and I, I think uh and you, why we we can benefit the field of sound in healing and music in healing, how we can contribute to the unfolding, the, the investigation, the, the, the divineness of it, grow divine, just the field is by giving a little bit more truth to it, the, the satya, because I think the rasa in a way is connected to beauty and the, the expression. And at the same time, if we feel the goosebumps, it's absolutely truthful. Yeah, yeah. So the truth is the truth of say doing something musically or uh, sonically 
because it's transporting us to a space of bliss. What you say, the, the space of Anand, the space of oh, long breath. Ah, I did it. You say, know, London. it's so beautiful when we say, I did it, you know, and that comes from truth. It's not just, you know, playing this beautiful, that, that's why those beautiful, incredible, amazing performers, pretty much Yo-Yo Ma, you know, becomes like a deity going everywhere. He's doing masterclasses, he's doing publicities, he's doing everything, you know, he's bringing his message. And this is something I like to bring into the field. You say the message of the cloud. Can you take us a little bit to the journey of the cloud? It's very interesting in the cloud of longing, this exiled pining yaksha asks a cloud to deliver a message to his beloved. And the entire poem is the yaksha telling the cloud the journey that he's going to take and where he's going to go and who he's going to meet. But it's also very clear, and this is what's so confoundingly beautiful, that the cloud never goes anywhere. This is all imagined. It doesn't really happen. And this is like what Rasa, in many ways, uh, you could see it in like someone like Wordsworth as poetry as recollection in tranquility. But the idea is that the feeling, the experience, the, the connecting to that depth is beyond the circumstance. Does that make some sense? Absolutely. Uh, this is a terrible example, but it works. If if a little kid gets run over by a bus, you know, that's a tragedy and we all, you know, we feel it. But if you read a book or see a movie in which a kid is run over by a bus, you know it's not really happening, but it still hits you in that place. And so the beauty the, uh, of Rasa is that it's taking you beyond the concrete. It's taking you into the soul of things. And therefore, it doesn't just have to be rainbows and puppy dogs tails to be beautiful I, you know one rasa is bayanaka which means disgust you know one rasa is raudra which is anger you know the, these they all work it's kind of like when my son was two uh i walked in and two or two and a half and he was watching batman and i was you know i was a new parent so looking and i said oh sean isn't this little little violent or something and he just looks at me he said he used to call me rick even when he was two he said, no, Rick, it's just make-believe. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. We discount make-believe. Oh, that's not, it's not a fact. But in an aesthetic tradition, it might be higher than the fact. It's the origin of the fact. So you fall in love and you're in heaven for a few weeks or months or years, and then it invariably falls apart. And you ask what happened? Well, you can get very negative about people, or you can say, that love has an origin, and that origin is the eternal love, is the rasa of Sringar, and it can express through human beings. But if you can sing the rasa, if you can allow yourself to be permeated by that rasa, it, it's said to be Brahma's father. It gives you the taste of the absolute. That's, um, it's a secret longing of every artist. It's actually, there's no separation between art and rasa. So the, the moment that we make a soup, if we are concentrated, that's one of the aspects that we call it transportation. Our mind is in dharana, is right, single-pointed. We are present, we are listening. 
we are not by trying to sell something. <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's like, it's interesting. Well, maybe you try to sell something. I don't know. But the point here is that there's so much, so much concentration, heightening of awareness that is almost like the consciousness becomes a way of breathing. You become a poet. You become a seeker. Uh, you, you are chasing the metaphor is chasing you and you are chasing the metaphor and you are suspended in a reality that is very safe because it's children's mind. Mm -hmm. Children's are pure rasa. Mm -hmm. I just want to be with children all the time because children are, for children, rasa is the first experience of life. To me, it seems like it's all feeling and senses and tastes and feeling. I don't know. That's what I'm getting out of this. That's what I'm trying to make sense in my head. What a rasa, what rasa is not a rasa, but rasa. The, the Sanskrit aestheticians, the way they saw it was that it's a process of ever deepening tasting. And what allows you to taste as a rasika or connoisseur of the, the rasa is your awareness of all the nuances going on and the place where it resonates in the depth of the heart. So I've always found it very interesting just to totally switch on, switch this lens. I've always found it very interesting that the early Bob Dylan, a number of his songs had biblical references, which a lot of people, they don't know it consciously, but it's resonating on the rasa of the Western mind. God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. You know, this is the, the sacrifice of Isaac, which is this, uh, you know, at the basis of, of Western tradition. So it's, it's resonating on, on levels that are deeper than your everyday feeling. Mm -hmm. So when I, you know, what am I falling in love with? Uh, what is the music, you know, what's it transporting in me? It's transporting me to my actual self, to the, the level of who I am in terms of Satchid Ananda. If Brahman or truth is defined or spoken of in Indian tradition as Satchit Ananda, which is something like being, knowledge, and bliss, the aesthetic and the music would be the bliss aspect. And um, we just don't have a lot of that. In the Ayurvedic medical tradition, they speak of rasa. The first level in which food enters the body is rasa, is the taste. And the taste is not insignificant. Uh, the taste of a particular food sets off a reaction in the body and body chemistry and, and so on and so forth. And if we take that away, then we get the contemporary one-size-fits-all medical model where whatever, whatever rasa you have, whatever constitution you have doesn't matter because we fix everybody the same. So um, the thing about rasa also is that your particular feeling constitution is your rasa. Some people are in flow rasa. Some people are in, you know, I don't know, what are the- um, The ugly one. The other, yeah. But it's okay if you, know, you, can, if you can work with it. I mean, I never understood uh, so late in the game how the Indian tradition talked about that the incarnation of God sometimes comes into the world to fight uh, for the fun of it. Like you can't, you know, he can't fight in heaven. So he fights on earth. I never, I, I never understood that until I had kids. And then when my, when my son was three, 
he used to come up to me and say, come on, dad, let's fight. And um, it was the rasa of, and, and it was pure joy. So to the, if you're not attached to the result, which would be karma, then anything is a lila. Even I, I it's, it's, it might be gross, but I'll, I'll use it anyways. There's a, a line in one of the Rambo movies where Sylvester Stallone says, in order to fight in a war, you have to become war. You know, you have to be in the rasa of combat. And interestingly, people who fight each other, as in football, you know, they respect each other. They respect their fortitude. They respect their courage uh, because uh, we know it's a game, but it's a game that allows us to express this energy. Uh, it's all good. Is Rasa bigger than the giver or the receiver? Or is it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, 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 it's you tune into it. Yeah. But it's already there. In music is, uh, uh, John and Rick, in music is the difference between a scale and a raga. Mm -hmm. Okay. The scales are um, linear, are, you know, sometimes necessary, but the raga is be before and beyond the scale because the raga is the symbolic aspect of the scale. It's a, is a seed that comes from a scale and leaves, leaves the tree, <laughs> you know? and start giving this particular, um, convey these particular rasas. Raga rasa is a system. There's no raga without rasa. There's no rasa without raga in music, in the in Indian classical music. Now, um, they have different uh, predominance in terms of, you know, the, the different styles of Indian classical music give more or less importance to ras. But the point here is that <laughs> in Indian classical music, there is no music without rasa. Does that carry over to Western classical music? I, I mean, think so. It, yeah. I think so. Is it's that lasting quality of something in music that you listen forever and ever, like what you were telling about, about Dylan or, or the Beatles. I mean, the Beatles got this shringar, I mean, at, at a point and that, you know, there is also like mantras, you know, mm. in their own way. Some people said that there were some hidden mantras in some of their music. And they were very inspired. They were very bhakti in their own way. So maybe Rick can talk a little bit about that. In my experience as a Western classical musician and going to three conservatories and then coming here in exile because it was very dangerous to live in South America. And I come here and I meet Ali Akbar Khan and I, I smell the perfume of the music. Mm. And I say, basta, situt, I, I don't need anything else. It was all that I was doing. I started all over again. You know, I was not the, the kind of star psych music psychotherapy that brought music into the Lacan therapy. No, no, no. I just, but Lacan for me, when I studied, when I was a clinical psychologist, Lacan and Freud was rasa for me. I can't explain this. It was just so interesting the way that everything was in function of energy for Freud and anything was in function of poetry for Lacan. So I, I had the rasa 
constitution because we all have is innate is 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 baby is buddha mind is baby food is is the taste of of the milk Rasa, theoretically, it, it's different from normal emotion. Um, mm -hmm. It's emotion like magnified a thousand times and taken to its source. That's that's the big point. So it takes you instead of like instead of like ear candy or eye candy, you can go into it again and again and again because it's taking you to the source. There's a beautiful line in the Upanishad that says Rasovai Saha which Saha, in this case, meaning God, and it says God is Rasa, he or he is Rasa, that it's not just my emotion, but it's coming from the universe itself, which is why the ragas is so interesting because they're, you know, as Sylvia said, they're, they're connected to colors and perfumes and also to seasons and times of day. So it's, it's kind of a cosmic experience how would you know the difference between rasa and, and emotion? How can you describe it? It might be difficult to, to describe in words. An emotion uh, is something that is based on a, a set of circumstances that impacts you. The rasa is already there and a work of art or circumstances awakens that within you. Once that is awakened, you can always access it through music and through poetry so it's it's not limited that you can hold that emotion or it holds you and it holds you to such a degree that it overwhelms the separate self that that's the difference that rasa overwhelms the ego and there's so many people trying to get rid of the ego which is impossible uh, because who's doing it uh whereas with the with the rus it's like the ocean just takes you and you're part of the Ananda Bodhi Bardhanam, the ever increasing knowledge and bliss of the ocean of existence. So rasa is connects you to the ocean of existence. And if you have that connection, you'll see it in your child, you'll see it in your lover, but you'll see it a different way. You'll, you'll see them as it's little John, but it's also little Krishna at the same time. I have been crying a lot lately. And I'm not a crying person. I'm very, very sensitive and very, very crack, crack open. And the rasa is right, right on the at, at the tip of my my lips, you know. And it's uh, of course because I chant all the time. Uh, it's not really connected with that. <laughs> and I don't know exactly what it is, but I think it's because what you're talking before, Rick. Because I miss my my guru. Mm. 
because I haven't seen him for two, three months. I have a new Guruji. And I haven't seen him since August. You know, I was having sessions with him so often and all the time. And then I haven't seen my guru for two months and I feel like a baby. I feel abandoned. It's very interesting. And I, I think it's because of that, because I was a psychotherapy for so long, a very good one. I think it's abandonment what makes me so transparent. That's interesting because there's a name for that rasa. Uh, it was in the first verse of the Megaduta, Kaschit Kanta Viraha Guruna. Viraha means separation. It's the missing. And uh, a lot of the Rasikas say that, that that experience, that feeling of separation, takes you to the deepest level of being overwhelmed by love, even more than union. So this great uh, Rasika named Sanatan Goswami walked into the hut of his master, Chaitanya, and found a leaf on the uh, on this palm leaf on the thatched roof that had a verse on it. And the verse was about when Krishna met the gopis after years and years of being separated from them. And he said to them, come live with me and be my queens forever. And they said, no, because we want to remember you as the cowherd boy in, in Brindavan when we grew up. Like we will, we cultivate the separation because it's the deepest connection imaginable. And so that's, you know, we would call it in Greek aesthetics, they might see that as the power of tragedy. But for India, it's not tragedy because the separation is a lila. It's a play in the universe, which is always one. So they, they say, it's inconceivably and simultaneously one and different. And so the Sambhogakaya is like, is the play of existence, the beauty, the bliss within the Dharmakaya of absoluteness. So, so the rasas, it, it sees itself as taking you to the core of your heart, of the heart, not your heart, but the heart. I don't know if that's helpful or not, but that's kind of how they see it. And it's, it's much more than emotion. The closest thing to it in the West might be Plato. Because, you know, Plato spoke about the world of forms beyond the world of objects. So in an ordinary emotion, it's an object, you know, since my baby left me, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in Viraha. But if you take that to the, the end of time, and it's always, and you're always in that mood, and that mood overwhelms everything else, and you're in this space of ecstasy and and loss and love. Then it, be, it then it moves up into into ras or rasa. Yeah, it's a, um may, maybe another um the other person is coming. It's funny we're talking sports here, but there was a great West Coast ball player named Willie Mays. I think everyone loved about Willie Mays was. Yeah, he was a great ball player, but more than anyone else, he loved to play baseball. Like you could see it. He had the joy. He was like this living joy. I love to catch ball. I love to run. I love and that's the rust. I can comment on Steph Curry from the Warriors. Yeah. He's that. I can feel yeah. it every time he plays. But I've been yeah. feel, for the last five, ten years, and it's getting more and more. He's getting better. It's getting he has so much joy and love for what he does. As you can just see it coming out of him on the court. It's incredible. Never yeah, seen a player like him. Yeah, that's the Russ. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
has it? It's, it's a, I think it's, it's, it's a quality, uh, innate quality that makes us feel more alive, aliveness. There's something of aliveness. And then I will bring this into the rasa that we sometimes, that, that sometimes is not, uh, is, is fear, is, is disgust, is, is aggression, you know. Can we compound rasas in a way that people can be more kind to each other? I mean, Dalai Lama, His Holiness, is trying to do that daily through his teachings, but not reaching everybody. You know, I don't, know, I don't have any answer to that, but if I go back to Steph Curry. <laughs> uh, Michael Jordan was in the Vera Rasa. He wasn't in the Joy Rasa. He was a Vera Bhav, we'd say in India. It was heroism. I'm going to beat you. Agreed. And... Um, and I, I would say, I once asked, actually, I believe I once invited Phil Jackson to come to my class at Vassar. So he gave a class called Sports and Religion. And he came. Wow. Because I said, he, here's a chance to speak with no reporters. You know, and the students were really tough. I said, what, he said well, what, what good is the NBA? You know, what have you done for anybody? You know, besides making certain money for certain people. And he said, when we won the championship, it, it united the city in such a beautiful way. Like that is what he was seeing as its value. I would see it differently. Is there anything we could do? I would argue that we need spaces for where people can express themselves honestly and emotionally that are safe and that take you somewhere instead of taking you nowhere. Good food. Uh, Good food, good music together. Like a perfect example in capitalist culture, which we all live in, we're all fish swimming in the water, but it's, there's such a competition for people who want to be actors. You know, it's like this cutthroat competition. And what's stopping you if you had a bunch of people who are together and you created a, a stage and a community and you had like monthly plays for the community, you know, you'd be able to act. You have a, you have a vessel for it. And you, that's the setting. The vessel is the setting. The music has a certain protocol. The poetry has a certain protocol which allows you to be safe and to express these really powerful energies in a way that's helpful but not hurtful. So yesterday, uh, every Thursday for the past 30 years, I've been chanting with my students. And I, believe it or not, I have some of the same students for 30 years. And it's, we don't even think if I'm home, we sing at five o'clock, we sing on Thursday because of whatever captivity we had for 19 months. Now it's super multicultural, multi global, whatever would say that it's almost cosmic. We meet every day. And yesterday, my intention was to say, oh, we are over at the end of the year. Let's do some mantra because ragas are a little bit require so much concentration. Some people don't have the musical background. So I say, I'm going to do mantra. And I was just directed to do mantra because mantra are more like uh, repetition. Uh, the configuration of melody is, is very small. It's like a medicine melody. It's like taking a medicine that is very gentle or it's more like a, I think that mantras are adaptogens. 
Mm. So in medicine, so I I think let's do mantra and let's 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 uh, cool down a little bit because the ragas are, wow, they require so much sensibility, appreciation, intellect, and 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 detail, and ras, and, and then what happened is that I ended up not doing mantra. Mm. I ended up doing what I do every time when I start my sessions, tuning with the syllables that are connected with the actually physical abstract aspects of sound, pure sound, Nara Yoga. We start the syllables for tuning the mind with the body and everything that is connected to the presence, the, the being present, asana. And then I ended up doing the raga that just 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 completely came into my spine. I mean, I couldn't control it. The raga was raga Yeman Kalyan. And it, the, it was the, the, the light was coming down. And the raga just came. I, I have a response when I'm talking right now. The raga just say, sorry, I'm here. <laughs> it has to be, you know. The raga came, and and then I did the mantra at the end. Do you remember it? At the very the, end, the, the I raga did the that mantra. you did. Yes. Can you do a little bit of it? Talk a little bit about how how music plays a role, sound plays a role in in tantra, and what actually is tantra. I know it has a sort of a, for a lot of people in the West think of sex with tantric, um, but it's more than that, obviously. And um, just maybe you could talk a little bit about it. Well, tantra comes from the the verbal root tan, which means to weave, and so it's a tradition that says you can come to non-dual consciousness, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, not only through deprivation, but through, I don't want to say indulgence, but I just said it. And the sound relationship is really interesting because in the tantric texts like Satchakra Nirupana, each of the chakras is said to contain certain letters of the Sanskrit alphabet. So they, each chakra resonates with certain sounds. Certain traditions would say you can only come to absolute reality through silence. Tantra would say truth in silence or voice in silence or sound in silence are two sides of the same coin. And you can work with any external discipline if you see it as you know connecting to its origin, it becomes a mean an upaya or a means to illumination. So a simple one might be eating from a 
mundane perspective, I'm eating this. From a tantric perspective, uh, the Divine Mother is eating through me. It's, it's, all, it's all happening uh, through me. And a tantric, theoretically, would drink but not get drunk, would play music but not get into the, I don't know what you guys call it, um, it's kind of like the low-level ear candy. I'm, you know, Attuated. Okay, as opposed to being able to remain conscious during the music and to really hear the sound to the point where you are the sound. Also, Tantra is very interesting in that we, it's looking more and more like historically the earliest layer of adepts were women. Uh, before they got kind of taken over by the male monasteries and connected to uh, the mother goddess. But on the deep level, it's the practice of non-duality in the world. So anything you do can be, can be tantric. In karmic consciousness, you're doing something to get a result for yourself. All right. In bhakti, you do, you do an offering to an absolute that's somewhere over there or in your heart. Uh, in, tant- in Tantra, you have Ramakrishna taking the offering to goddess Kali and dumping it on his own head. At that point, he's either gone crazy or he's realized his oneness with the goddess. And it's all the same with that, whether I'm playing this note or that note. That's why um, I was, it's, it's very much like uh, uh, Karaoke, who's um, a Brazilian singing shaman, at a certain point in his evolution, he, in addition to singing the liturgical Portuguese songs, he began just singing Brazilian folk songs. And his point was the same thing that John Cage made, you know, a century before, that everything is music. You know, music is everything. And Tantra sees it that way. There's also, an, in, in my experience of Tantra in music is the experience of continuation there's an element of threat there the, the you are you are in a virtual reality in a way and you 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 stay there and it un, unfolds evolves and becomes so i always understood the concept of tantra no the experience of tantra as a transformation that evolves we are talking about a karaoke, which I love, and we have something very in common with karaoke. We have the same lineage, actually, in both sides, from the medicine and from the music, which was so close to me. And Tantra says very simply, to find you can also find spirit in the world, and therefore anything you do, cooking, playing music, uh, whatever it is, it can be... Uh, an upaya, an instrument in the realization of absolute consciousness. So since monasticism does not do well in the United States, uh, we might be made for Tantra. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's something about uh, that I like to say that um, uh, in terms of uh, the experience of Tantra as transformation and you know, continues evolving, evolving practice, you know, like sometimes we do a practice, but how to evolve the practice. And uh, and then you say something incredible, Rick Jarrow, when we were 
you know, teaching at CIIS together and separating, but, but within that extraordinary program that started so many other things um, until, until got confused. I mean, now sound healing is sound bath and it's not possible. So, <laughs> um, sound in healing is, it's, it's big, it's silence. So I like to say something that you said that was creativity is not an individual process. You said that and everything changed. Because of you said that one of my students wants to hear more of you in Esalen and the next day she had a baby. She found a lover in Esalen and had a baby. The other student, which is a very, very, very wealthy person, just cannot live without your teachings and actually i don't know if you know john but he rick also reads uh vedic uh charts mm. for people in his own way i mean it's his own interpretation as well but what i wanted to bring is when you say creativity is not an individual process became a mantra mm. Mm. a mantra for the work because then you realize that it's about the collaboration with earth, with life, with people, with children, with shamans, with medicine. It's, a, it's about co-creation. And co-creation is within the spirit of music. We, we make music with instruments that can be the voice, can be the breath, can be... But that sense of co-creation is what we... Um, discover when we are children and then for some reason become something like oh i'm not a singer or oh i'm not this you know we always can co-create with something even if you're creating something on your own completely on your own and in, in a room by yourself you're still you're kind of still not by yourself What about your expansion into Kirtana? Well, it's it's funny because I kind of grew up with Kirtana. I, I started when I was in my teens. Then I stopped for many years. I just stopped playing music. I got into the teaching archetype, I guess. And then I met karaoke. And karaoke has a certain siddhi, a certain power that whoever hangs out with them, like they get infected by music. and. It's like through meeting karaoke, the harmonium just came back to me. And I play medicine songs and Indian kirtan songs, and I play with other people. But the amazing thing for me with the harmonium is, one, I don't know how to play, but I play. So my Indian colleagues call it Guru Kripa. Uh, you know, it's the mercy of Guru. Uh, the other thing about it, not being a, being a collective, not an individual endeavor, is you're usually doing at least call and response with Kirtan. And unfortunately, from my point of view anyway, well, it's fortunate because people have found out about it. But a lot of the West, they, they, they think of Kirtan as going to a show and someone's going to play for me, 
or I'm going to play a show for somebody. And that's not what it is. Um, it's literally a practice. Uh, it's a practice of glorifying God through sound. And it happens most effectively when, as, as uh, um, Bharata says in the Nyatya Shastra, when rasa, when rasa is achieved, the separation between the audience, the actors, and the, the, whoever else is involved in the play just dissolves. And it becomes one flow of musical rus. And that's what I love about the harmonium. And the other, I don't know, this, well, I'm saying it for whatever, it's better or worse. When I play the harmonium, especially in ceremony, I often experience myself in a different body. I'll say that much. Um, so it brings in, you know, whoever, whatever uh, wants to come in. But again, I, I can really feel the difference. Like if I'm just playing to sound nice or relieve boredom, it doesn't achieve rasa. It, you know, the rasa only happens when it's a conscious appreciation, glorification. And when, when you give everything, like you have to leave it all out on the field, there's nothing left then it happens. Um, and I, you know, it was given, the harmonium was given to me as a gift and I still see it that way. Beautiful. And, 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 and then, you know, recitation, your voice is rasa. So what I, I you know, I, uh, in India, they call me a voice culturist. Uh, uh. They define, you know, when they, when they present things in India, they uh they they read my bio and they say sylvia is a voice culturist culturist I like that. yeah a culture is in the sense of cultivating mm -hmm. and releasing you know the the voice as as as, as a sound itself not necessarily connected like with the singer yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the voice farmer the singer is another archetype that has a lot of limitation as an envelope as a setting yeah. Because it requires, it immediately takes the mind into the rasa of I don't know, which is a rasa too, it's an emotion. You know, it's a sense of, uh, it's, it's, it's a way of, 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 you know, putting yourself down when you just have to do it again. You know, in traditional India, nobody would ever read a poem by themselves. The silent reading is not you have to recite it out loud, then it's poetry. And you know, John Cage uh, that you mentioned, for him, the most natural way of expressing this music as sound and getting the Zen aspect of I'm not there, yeah. who I am, he was mostly talking. Mm -hmm. I mean, his, 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 the sound that he brought was telling stories. He was a kind of Zen Krishna. Interesting. What I like the most, and I collected, of course, because I'm a collector, I mean, of art, and I was the collector of his talkings, their teachings, where he talks about mushrooms, and he talks about what happened when he smokes, and he talks, and the, the talk, he went from writing music to talking, and then his music might be played at the same time on a symphonic kind of uh configuration but there are so many ways that we can express uh express which means to put pressure out right we can express what is the longing the journey of the cloud out of longing yeah yeah we, we it's, i like the idea of express putting pressure out 
And now what I think that we need to consider for this particular here and now setting is what are the rasas? Because my divine first guru for 29 years, Ali Khan, he had a 10 rasa, which actually became the most important rasa in Raga. So I would like you to talk about raga, the rasas, the nine or the eight rasas, and then I will reveal the ten rasa. Well, traditionally, it depends what tradition. It can be eight or nine. Um, they're shringar, which is love. Uh, we could, we might say romantic love, but um, it's said to be the ultimate rasa. Hasya rasa, which is is. Like that, adbut, which is wonder, rasa of wonder. That's a good one. How about vira or courage or her heroism? Wow, which is fun. Shanta or peace. Karuna, compassion. Everything. We have to. Ever Karuna is 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 kind of is the is the is the driving is the Mercedes van of the Rasas. All right, now we have three more. Let's say you do these: Raudra or anger, fury. <laughs> Bayanaka or fear. Think about Hitchcock movie. <laughs> the scene of the shower. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the ter termite. <laughs> All right, and finally, Bibatsa or disgust. Oh, that is very visual <laughs> for me, <laughs> lately. <laughs> I, it's, 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 it's incredible. It's incredible. Visually, uh, here in Berkeley, everywhere under the bridge, is all that. Can you say more about that, Rasa? Because it's, it's really here and now in the world. Well, it's, it's definitely characterized by a certain type of judgment, you know, um, and um, I feel that... Um, there's like fear and loathing, like I can't stand this. Um, the interesting thing about it, um, Mary Douglas's famous book, Purity and Danger, like what's pure in one culture is impure in another. So some people actually like to put uh, banana and peanut butter on sandwiches. And some people think that's the most disgusting thing in the world. So it depends on your position, what is disgust and what is not. But it's something 
something like that. And there is something which is really interesting in relationships also, probably in music. It's called rasa basa. It's when there are two rasas that don't mix. You know, uh, like this musician and that musician, they just don't mix together. And Ali Akbar would call it confusion. Ah, okay. All right. Yes. So those are your nine. What's the, what's the uh, ten? The ten is tiag. Ah, okay. Detachment. Okay. Tiag, detachment, detachment, and, and and a kind of loving separation. When you go in during the evolution, the the development of the raga, there is a moment that you shift the the rasa. And the raga is a journey, so you, you, you change from one rasa to another rasa, no more than two or three rasas in one raga. Mm. And then suddenly at the end, you detach. Mm. Mm. You, in every music, at the end, you, in, even in those moments of silence, between the alap and the jara and the jala and all that, it's those moments of before the 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 drummers comes in the music there is a ah oh, after the alab when the alab uh, the alab is a, the journey to the north star right it's a big journey between the clouds and then at the end of the alab there is a detachment and then comes the musicians kind of coughing or or t take some water get some you know the alap normally is 40 minutes 45 minutes and then and then the other musician that has been there sitting the whole time the drummer with an incredible sahaj and shrad you know reverence and everything they start tuning their their instruments so they do the second part so there is always this sense of tiag even if the ra the music is beautiful at some point you have to let it melt like a cloud and this is what happened in new age music what they call new age music they get the shanti and they they do a shanti for for 45 minutes and that gets depression you know depressive because there's no sense of detachment and and the yeah. the dynamics of emotion it's all about duration for me since i'm more and more involved now and decided that i started all over again with um, you know, it's always like a reincarnation with music. You are always a beginner, and that's the beauty. You're always young in music. <laughs> you never get old with music. That's another piece. Uh, when you're creative and you, you enter in the ras, and you are uh, longing for ras, then you don't have time to get old. It's, it's all about the affirmative connection with life, with truth. With How can beauty. somebody out there get into the Ras listening to this? Listening. And, and I always tell the people I, am, I have around my life, which mostly now is in a box, in a computer. You know, uh, if you like something, follow. Follow. If you like a musician, if you like this music, don't stay with that tune only. You know, go and go inside the, that music and find more music of the same composer. I mean, if I listen to Mahler, I start uh, my whole life will be. I, if I listen to Mahler, the rasa comes back to me. For example, if I listen to the first tuning of Ali Akbar Khan Sarod, 
I am in rasa. Because rasa is intimacy too. It has a quality of intimacy, of familiarity, of being home. We are back. Can you talk a little bit about the new book, please? Well, it's called The Cloud of Longing. And it's a translation and study of the Megadutta of Kalidasa. Megadutta means cloud messenger. So why, why, I, why I got involved with it, aside from my teachers pushing me, is that it gives you a sense, it offers a different sense of what nature is. In the Natya Shastra, uh, rasa is defined, vibhava anubhava, um, vyabhachari samyogad rasen nishpatihi that rasa is achieved by the combination of the vibhavas, the stimulants like the autumn moon, for example, anubhava, the subtle stimulants, like the fragrance wafting, wafting through the grass, um, uh, vyabhachari, these accessory emotions, some yoga, you put them all together and you get rasa. So the, the example that they give is cooking that you, you, you blend the ingredients skillfully and you get this taste. If you really wanted to live a more rasa-oriented life, at the end of the day, instead of asking, what was this day like or what's going to happen tomorrow, you could say, well, what did this day taste like? And that will put you you know, in the consciousness of rasa, that we're not here to know but the knowledge comes through tasting of the heart. What is the taste of music? It depends on the music. It depends on the music. And it so depends like, on the person too. Yeah, in the Megadutta, Kalidasa, there's all kinds of music. The Shiva plays the drum, and, and the drum is the thunder of the cloud. Okay. The geese are singing a certain song as they walk upon the way. Um, the the siddhas in the sky have their flutes and they're playing wherever he goes wherever this cloud goes in the natural world there's music the kinaras who are the celestial beings who sing you know are up there so you're in a world of a swirl of sound cloud okay uh, wherever you go and and the rus there's a beautiful line that John Cage said about Thoreau which I think is a real good Russell line. He said, he said, many men have vision. Thoreau had none. He just walked the world with his eyes and ears open. That to me is, is the rust, the opening the senses to the thrill, to the Sambhogakaya that we have rejected because of whatever insanity of nationalism or thisism or thatism. You know, this world is incredibly, outrageously beautiful. Ramakrishna saw a cloud in the sky at 11 years old and he fainted. It was so beautiful. Like, that's Russ. I used to, like, sometimes have to hide the fact that I'd, I'd start crying when I see the faces of my little kids because I just saw Russ. I just saw, you know, and they go, Daddy, what are you crying about? So that's why we need a container. But the world is Russ. Beautiful. John Kate talks about the 18 Russas. And he starts this, this discourse about Rasa saying, John Gage, the function of music is to quiet the mind, to make it sensitive to divine intervention. Mm. Oh. I read that, I listened that through John Cage, not to the Vedas, but I'm sure that came from the Vedas. So all the things about Rasa is 
about co-creations, we realize that we are not alone. Rasa is like a veil, it's like a messenger that, that shifts the weight of the ego into the lightness of a cloud. Rick, I really enjoyed this. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's, it's a great, it's a it's very rust-filled moment. I am uh, full of uh, goosebumps, and I am very honored that you uh, wanted to do this experiment with us. This yeah. for us is a journey. Thank, thank you, John, you. Thank for you. everything. Thank you for yes, time. Thank you for duration. Thank you for Russ, and thank you for Tantra. Okay, everybody, much thank love, Daima. Thanks for joining us for episode four of Beyond Music. For more information on today's guest, Rick Jero, please visit www.rickjero.com. That's R-I-C-K-J-A-R-O-W. Footnotes on what was discussed today can be found in the podcast episode notes on your podcast platform, such as Apple or Spotify. To contact the Beyond Music team, please email beyondmusicpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share on social media and give us a review. Thanks again for your support. This podcast is produced by Carmel Sound Lab. For more information, please visit www.carmelsoundlab.com.